This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today, we are taking a look back at a classic, the 1989 film Pet Cemetery. Yeah, so this is a movie that like I've heard almost all of my friends talk about. And I have had, like, zero reference point as to why this was, like, such a great movie. Not that I didn't think that it could be good. Um, but everybody's just like, oh, it's just demon animals. And that's it. No, that's my very much. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that being, like, from what you hear about it, okay, that's what you think it's going to end up being. No. Yeah, it's... um. It's quite a lot different. It's It's very Stephen King. We can all agree on that. Yeah, no, I'll say it's very much Stephen King, but I think this is one of those ones that's done extremely... I think this one's done extremely well. I, I very much enjoy uh, the first Pet Cemetery a lot. It's a... Um, I'll say it's a adequately paced movie, I think. I, I, I'll I be honest, I kind of find myself being a tad bored in places. Um, only... only only because it seemed to like be, be very uh, belaboring the point as to how you know spooky or downtrodden a certain scene or situation is uh, before we're like, all right, this is well enough established. We can move on to the next point in the plot. Um, I'll will come to a few examples as they as they show up, but it's it's more so that like it it, it like the motor takes a little bit to rev up for me, uh, but then eventually it it gets going. Uh, I liked it. I mean, overall, it, it does. It I, does take a while. It, it's one of those films that's definitely a slow burn. Um, it is more of a. I mean, in in traditional King fashion, the horror I think comes from the drama in it, and I think the horror, especially with this one, uh, this was the one that they said like Stephen King. He even said as he wrote this book, this was the thing that scared him. So. People wanted to know about what Pet Cemetery was. They wanted to know, like, what is going to, going to scare even Stephen King? And it deals with basically the death of a child, which really is is kind of more of the catalyst of this film than anything. The Pet Cemetery exists in its traditional form, but then there's the cemetery beyond the Pet Cemetery, which is the one that takes things further. Now, this movie is really strange. So the Creed family has just moved from Chicago to Maine. And um, it's it's Lewis, Rachel, and their children, Ellie and Gage. Gage is, like, what, a year old, maybe, or two years old? A year, maybe a year or something, right? He's walking, he's moving around, but he's not really talking much. Um, so they go into their new home. They meet uh, their neighbor, Judd Crandall, who is played by Fred Gwynn, who everybody knows as Herman Munster. And he is amazing in this. And everyone knows this film mainly from Fred Gwynn as, as Judd saying, like, 
You don't go up there. Yeah, no. It, it, that's that's literally the iconic lo- movie line and trope that we all know and love. It originating from here. Don't go up there. Yeah, it was. Just, well, it wasn't even just them. It's like uh, sometimes the uh, man's soul is rockier than you know soil or whatever. Because that's like the line <laughs> that you get in the beginning with Pascal. So anyway, there's this pet cemetery that he he says he takes them to this isolated pet cemetery that's behind behind their home. <laughs> I gotta say, in the beginning, Judd is a little weird the way he comes off towards them. It almost seems like there could be something sinister in it, but there, there isn't. I I, I want to say it's his acting because it seems like just a tad off for what the character is supposed to be. Very slightly can- off kilter. Now, what we what we what we notice right away is when they move into this house. It's right on the side of a highway, and trucks are going by at full speed. It's I mean they're really setting this up. The foreshadowing is like bearing down on you really hard. Um, and you know we find out in the first day that he ends up going into work, someone has been hit by a car. A jogger's been killed, and it's uh, Victor Pascal. Who another iconic character in this film? He's actually on the cover of the of the film, and you think that's going to be a major part. And he is, you know, a, a, he's a part of the film, but he kind of appears here and there. You kind of forget him about it, forget about him a little bit. But then Pascal keeps coming back in different ways, especially as it ramps up towards the end, which is really cool. Um, this is one of those moments where you can definitely tell it came from a book because there's a lot of layers of stuff going on in this. Um, and a lot of this, you can tell, would work better in a literary form because you're dealing with human emotion that can be drawn out pages upon pages upon pages. You know, you have Rachel's um, family life of growing up with the sister who was dying and how she just wished her sister was dead. And we get that story and a little bit of like the flashbacks towards that to up the creep factor. Um, we get introduced to the idea of the pet cemetery when church their cat is run down on the highway by the house this is where it seems strange to me it's almost an absurd amount of detail that we are trying to be thrown at in the first few moments of this movie because again you mentioned that it like the fact that it is based off a book is apparent but it seems also almost more so apparent when in the early 80s and 90s when Stephen King's seemed to have a bit more of a direct hand in the types of films and adaptations that were coming from his work it seemed to be uh, like almost a tad bit of overkill for filmmaking. Like I think the well, this translation... was this was his screenplay too. I mean, this yeah. was a Stephen King screenplay. You know that that to me in itself is a huge that that in itself is huge to me. You know him doing the doing the screenplay for the film, and then having Mary Lambert come in and direct. So uh, the reason this film got made, and I watched the documentary behind this as well. There's a full like. Um, making of on how Pet Cemetery got made. And they were talking about how this was right at the, as the writer's strike happened, and they needed a script that was ready to go and was perfect. And this was the one that ended up, kept getting pitched over and over and over and over. And finally they're like, look, man, this script is the best we're ever going to get. You know, we need to have a film during this time. So they greenlit Pet Cemetery. And it seemed to be that kind of bit, like, I wouldn't call this a rush job, because I don't think it is at all. I mean, out. I, I do not consider this to be a rush job. I feel like there's a lot going on to it. And as far as being able to adapt Stephen King, this is definitely, in my opinion, one of the best adaptations of his work. 
Sure. And I, I could easily agree that it's a as dense as Stephen King can be. This is, uh, for the time period, a far more uh, truncated and digestible version of one of his stories until we get to some of the later ones. But this one is, um, again, I, I almost really want to dive into the book more that I've seen this film because it's, again the the pacing to make this into a very short albeit film uh runtime wise there there's almost too much and not enough in in some areas that i just it's it's pulling me slightly away and then like enveloping me in with some of its really good filmmaking yeah i mean i think it's a, it's a very well made film there's some really great moments the tension is there mary lambert really knows what she's doing oh yes uh, as absolutely. a director coming into this and i think it, it it definitely shows with the the quality of filmmaking. I think this movie holds up better over time, surprisingly, because you know I remember seeing this over the years a lot. And, you know I've had my ups and downs with Pet Cemetery, but I feel like where I am now, looking at this film, almost you know uh, thirty years after it originally came out, and I like it more now than I think I ever have. It's I, I, I will say that I think a newfound appreciation for when we were older, because, again, I had been hearing about this movie almost since I was maybe a teenager, uh, because it doesn't seem it, it, it seems relatively tame for the types of fare that was coming out for the time period. Like, it's yeah, more of I mean, a drama. I, I, it's a yes and a no on that. I think the idea of killing a small child in a film was not really especially an innocent child in such a visceral, violent way, was not something that f would fly at the times. That's not something that you're really able to do. Um, but it's the, it's the drama of it that but is, it's, is at the it's heart such of this a dark, movie. It's but the, this whole movie is dark. Nothing in this film has any sort of hope. This is a, it, it is one of those movies where you look at it and you're just like, this is not going to end well for anybody. And in the end, it doesn't end well for anyone. Um, no, it's a, it's a big downer of a movie. <laughs> it's a sure. total downer of a film for everybody involved. So, you know, what ends up happening in the beginning is, you know, Church gets hit by a car. Judd basically says, you know, I know you don't want the kids to see this dead cat. They'd been away for Thanksgiving. He had gotten back, you know, first and everything. Um, he says, all right, well, there's this place beyond the pet cemetery that if you bury these, you know, animals or whatever, they can come back to life. And he talked about how he had brought, you know, buried his dog and brought it back, but it, it didn't work because the dog, like, came back and was vicious but died that night. And he's like, but the cat, it might be different. Um, so he... I always love it when there's scientific trial and error with severely occult things. They're like, well, we'll try it with this one now. Like, there's... But then, but then, this is where, like, it starts... The more I watch this film, the more you start realizing all these tiny details in it, because when you see it in the beginning, it almost seemed like Judd was doing this, when you're like, why would you do this? Did, did you kill the cat, Judd? And then are trying to bury the cat. You know, it just seemed very weird, and then you see the cat, and he pulls the cat up, and you're like, alright, well, maybe he didn't kill the cat, because it looks like it got hit and froze to death, or whatever. And then he takes it up and uh, and buries it. And then the cat, you know, comes back. Um, and that part seems really strange. You're like, oh, holy shit, this cat has come back to life somehow. This is very strange. Um, and then later on, uh, they're all outside. They're all flying a kite. Everything seems fine. And Gage, while they, they look away for just a moment, which to me, that's one of those things where I'm just like, you guys, there's so many issues that happened on why this occurred. 
You know, it never should have happened. Uh, but anyway, Miko Hughes' character, um, Gage, gets hit by a, a truck and, and obviously dead. Um, and this tears the family apart completely. I mean, this really, really devastates everybody. Uh, his father-in-law attacks him at the at the funeral, and then the casket opens, and you see his hand for just a split second as it falls, and it's just like, holy shit, this is absolutely traumatic. Um, and then we find out that, that Judd now feels like he has caused all of this. He's like, I never should have showed you that. I never should have done this. Um, because I think like there's this malevolent pre malevolent presence, and I think that that caused his death, and I think it pushed it towards that. Because then he tells him this story about this guy who buried his son um, after he was killed in World War II, and he came back back as like this zombie, and they ended up having to like he just burns the place down with him inside with his son, so he could be you know at peace or whatever while these people are, are trying to attack him very like frankenstein's monster-esque story we get yeah, in the middle of this it's very dour very early and it's it well it's basically like don't mess with stuff that you don't understand and this is where lewis just loses his mind and lewis can't deal with it so um he decides that he is going to dig up his son take him to the pet cemetery, bury him, and have him come back because he thinks it's going to be different this time. He thinks that somehow something is going to have changed. And, it, like, and, it, and it's it, at this point where, like, I I kind of didn't really... I don't know how fully I can believe, like, the madness that would have brought him to do this. I, I think it, that that deals with... Well, as they say, you know, the as he even says, and this is part of it, that there are, there are supernatural forces at work that are now cursing him. They say the ground is cursed, so essentially he is cursed as well. So I think there's something psychological that goes on with that because, as you noticed, Rachel has the vision of her sister at a couple of moments, and then there's a couple of times where uh, even he even has that uh, Lewis even has like a, a vision of stuff at a couple of moments where it seems like he's there, but he's not there. So and it's, it's really creepy and profound. No, but I think there's something really going on with that. I think there's that, that this this uh, energy is kind of clouded everything, you know. Uh, that's um, true, and I, I like to think of that energy as kind of like this, like more so metaphor or allegory for uh, their grief. That's but see, I, of... I think it goes beyond that because then we have Pascal appearing in Chicago to warn Ellie in a dream that Lewis is about to do something awful. And then Rachel freaks out by the dream and then tries to call Judd and says Lewis isn't home. So she's like, I'm going back to Maine. Judd freaks out and is like, uh, all right, this is weird. What's going on? Like, don't come back. Don't come back. Uh, because he knows that something is going on with Lewis. Like, Lewis has probably gone ahead and done this when he's told him, don't do this. As, basically, she's trying to get back home, you basically have Pascal helping Rachel get home. Through this entire situation. Like, she is making it, or he is making it where she is able to try and get back to save, you know, all of this terrible, terrible stuff from going on. So, there I can understand there being more of a good and evil pulling, something pulling... Uh, at Lewis making him kind of delusional in this aspect but yeah Gage Gage returns home and and um, gets a scalpel from his dad's bag and then goes and taunts Judd cuts his Achilles tendon in one of the foulest scenes it is absolutely brutal it's, so and this is the part where I was like we, we haven't seen again it's it's more 
like it's more it's just not it's not there's no violence that we haven't really like been subjected to right in the and movie it just sense. comes out of and nowhere just, yeah and because we've mainly seen like oh there's like been a bit of bloodiness and like a bit of again it's more uh dreadful that what we're seeing than anything else and now we're just getting full-on violence and it's it was jarring because I'd, it's like, very I'd jarring because it, it's the well there's there's a couple of different things it's the achilles tendon number one and then the the scalpel across the mouth area yikes and that part was very just kind of wow all right i did not expect this especially from a child doing this and then he bites down on the neck and starts like and tearing he's, at his he's throat lit like it, it, we're talking about filmmaking for real quick he is lit so it's 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 shining levels like he's like lit from like underneath like he's a ghost and like his eyes pop out of his head and he's wearing that like it's so it's so very it's very disturbing and very creepy in the way he goes about stuff and the stuff he says on the phone it's like um yeah first i played with judd then i played with mom now i want to play with you and he does that yeah, and yeah. it's so disturbing and it and it's um, not because a lot of uh, some of the line delivery in this movie can be construed as like cheesy and off-putting, but when it gets into that like haunting child territory, it works really well. And I don't know why because sometimes I feel like uh, some of the drama that this movie's going for does and doesn't earn it a bit. Well, some uh, of the stuff least... in this gets gets batshit crazy because yes. we start realizing that that Gage has been possessed by something. Something is now in him that is just insane because um, Rachel ends up coming in finally to the house. She discovers Gage, sees him, and then he's still holding the scalpel and acting like a child. And she picks him up, and you hear her scream. Um, and then, like Lewis has, I guess, been asleep. He wakes up. He sees the muddy footprints in the house, and he sees his scalpel's missing. Uh, he ends up getting that that call from Gage that he played with Judd and Mommy, and um, he's like, all right, this is not good. So he fills up these syringes with morphine. He heads to Judd's. Um, he sees Church, so he injects the cat uh, to, to see if Church would actually, you know, die or if he would actually keep coming back, you know, with that type of thing. Um, but he dies, and then he... Gage basically just keeps taunting uh lewis and then rachel's corpse falls from the attic and hanging and like half her eye is missing and i'm like that kid must be and the kid is there so you have to realize he is now ungodly strong like something came back with him he's not he's not a human kid anymore and that's the thing where you got to realize like this is not a child this is something completely different now we are are in full-blown like superhuman territory we're in in just pure evil mode and that's where this is almost like a deadite evil dead style strength wise comedically strong comedically strong but taken almost but taken very seriously yeah but we never see the strength actually happening. We just know that it has happened, which is, to me, even crazier. Well, um, we, it would have been hilarious to see this small child literally lifting up all of this It would have been insane. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, it, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been, like, it would have been comically bad is what it would oh, have Oh, absolutely. Been. Well, it was still crazy because then he attacks uh, Lewis, and then he's able to inject Gage with the morphine, and it's so upsetting because he just, you see him, he looks, he gets upset, and he's just like, no fair, no fair. And then just yeah. runs off and kind of dies, and you're just like, holy shit, this movie is morbid, man. So it, it's, this movie, like, it, it 
dances that fine line between, for me at least, being just unbelievable enough to feel uh, disconnected with reality, yet still grounded in some sort of real drama with this couple and, you know, exploring the death of their son and wanting to, like, and them being traumatized by that and all of this insane stuff that's going on with it. Like, it, it, it reminded me a bit of... Uh, of hereditary in a weird way because they were dealing with you know the the death of their uh, their daughter and well in this it's a well in hereditary yeah in this it's a son yeah right yeah yeah it's it's a stretch I know but it's it's more of like I'm trying to like correlate the two of uh, dealing with that kind of grief while also there are bigger supernatural entities at play. Um, yeah, I think in this one, in this one, in, in Hereditary, I think there was an opposing force that you actually had. A, there was a physical manifestation at certain points because there were people. Well, remember, there were people there were people in charge of stuff happening. But in this one, it felt like it was this ancient evil that you just could not. It was pulling people towards stuff and it would pull people towards things because even after all of this has happened, he he ends up pouring gasoline all over uh, Judd's house. He sets it on fire. He takes Rachel's body away and Pascal appears and he's like, dude, you're going to make this worse. Like, do not make this worse. And then Pascal disappears and vanishes as he walks, you know, by him and is carrying Rachel. And he's like, no, it's going to work this time. It's going to work this time. She just died. By the way, missing an eye. So it's not going to be pretty no matter what. Um, But he's lost his mind completely. So he's, you know, he's buried her, he sees her, he sets everything up waiting for her to come home. She comes inside the house. Uh, You finally see her face fully and you're like, you were missing an eye. You have this just bone from on your eye socket and this stuff pouring out of the wound. It it is so gross, yet they make out anyway. It's it's good. I I think I think these uh, makeup effects are while solid. Um. I think it's just that they are just solid enough. I was more a fan of the uh, of the first uh, like dead uh, like undead encounter that we had, where uh, he was seemingly like leading him down the path. Uh, oh, Pas- Pascal. Yeah, yeah, on that one. Yeah, Pascal, yeah. well, Pascal's is really cool because just the way that looks, and you see him a lot in the movie, and I really like the effect for that. Just seeing the way Rachel is at the end, though, it's just very shocking and disturbing, and if you see just the way the eye is, there's that, like, fluid just going down her face, and I'm like, it's so gross. Well, and, but at this and there's, point, there's also something to be said about uh, a character, like in uh, American Werewolf in London, where the, these horrible mangled uh, effects and, like, uh, things happen to their bodies, yet they carry themselves like nothing is wrong with them. I like there's something really really cool about a good practical effect like that while being portrayed by an actor that is seemingly fine. Yeah. There there is something really really interesting about that. And in this especially. So, you know, we get to this final moment where she grabs as they're embraced, she grabs this large knife from the counter and then you see her swing it around and then Lewis screams and it cuts to black. Um and that's the movie, and then we get we get the Ramones doing the song Pet Cemetery because they did two songs for this movie, and it which, is amazing. Which is really, it's a weird time that it must have been for the Ramones, is what I'll no, say. No, they, I mean, but that's the thing, it was the late 80s in general. They had been doing a lot of, they did like Rock and Roll High School, Rock and Roll oh, High yeah, School they, forever. Oh yeah, they'd been huge. They'd been doing but a they bunch been, of stuff. But they had been doing like movies and stuff and weird movie songs for years. So this wasn't anything that was too different. I think they even did Schoolhouse Rock stuff too, so like. They had, they actually um, had. 
but I think this was really cool and they liked it a lot. I, and they talk about they talk about it in the documentary a little bit how they came up with it. And I think they get, I think it was Joey Ramone. One of the one of them ended up writing the song in like 15 minutes or some shit like that. I mean that that strikes me as no surprise for the no <laughs> not really but, it, right. but I mean I think this is a it is a really fun I just like it I think it's a fun movie I you know it's one of those classics that I look back at and I'm like it's such it's so referential people always say Pet Cemetery towards stuff and it made money too it was an eleven and a half million dollar budget that grossed fifty seven point five million exactly so, it, it's a, it, it was a wide success and um. I think I would I would want to recommend a movie like this on the basis that uh, a lot of movies have taken from this. A lot of movies have been inspired by this one, even it, with it being so relatively modern and contemporary. With what like this is this is still post Shining. This is post uh, Halloween. This is post like a lot of classic films have still pulled from Pet Cemetery, even for for some of its inherent schlockiness of like don't go up there like well see then i think the schlockiness more some of that was there because it definitely had that little bit of a feel to it it ended up happening with pet cemetery 2 that the schlockiness was like the ante was upped exponentially um because i ended up watching that again during this as well because it's the same director so i you know i thought to myself all right i want to see what mary lambert does with a sequel three years later and how is she going to go about doing this? And the idea is that it it follows, you know, a, a teenager. And originally it was supposed to follow Ellie Creed, I think, is how they wanted to do it. And then they changed it, um, you know, which, when she was older or whatever. And then we find out that it's all taken place, you know, a few years later. And it's about a different kid growing up and dealing with his mom's death. Um it's got good moments in it. It's got Clancy Brown being awesome as Clancy Brown. Hey, nothing wrong uh, with Clancy Brown. It's got Edward Furlong stars in it as the teen. Anthony Edwards plays his dad. It's got some cool moments, and there's some stuff that I really do like in it, but there's it's definitely cheesier and campier, and while it does get really dark at moments, and it has a body count. Like this, man, Pet Cemetery does not have much of a body count, but Pet Cemetery 2, the body count is, <laughs> like, ridiculous, I, man. I could only imagine because, like again... The, the sin that a lot of these uh, sequels to these classic horror films seem to be committing is that, oh, we need more violence because well, we it's, have it's a little whole, bit. It's the whole bigger is better. More. You have to double down for the sequel, right? Sure. But that's not always going to work. And in this case, there were moments of Pet Cemetery 2, 2 that I think are good. Um, but apparently at one moment, someone mentions that Ellie Creed ended up going crazy. Uh, later on and like murdered her grandparents or something like that that's what someone says is like and they say is it a rumor or was it true like they don't really ever say if it was um because i think it's teenagers who were talking about it uh it's you know it's fine i guess it's it's an all right movie but i think in this one it's it's more vicious towards animals in 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 pet cemetery 2 more than the first one and i think it's more vicious all around as a film towards like animals people whatever they're just kind of like yeah we're gonna be kind of campy and cheesy with it but then extremely violent and if we decide we want to kill a character fine pull no punches you know so is this uh, a small tacit recommendation for pet cemetery too like are there are there a couple things going well for it i i think for me i think there's a couple of things going really well for it but i would have to say with it's definitely campy if you want to see it for like a campy schlocky thing that kind of falls apart at the end it's good um but it definitely makes me appreciate the first pet cemetery that much more okay good to know 
Well, yeah, and I now would we say have a reboot coming a out in 2019. For the first one as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I would definitely say recommend for the first one. Partial recommend for the second one, and then I, apparently we're getting a remake um, in in April of 2019. So, well, okay. I mean, we're gonna see how that goes, but honestly, like when you already have the original and people love it as much as they do, unless they pull a Suspiria in the way that I'm hearing that the new one is just totally different but amazing, I don't know if it's gonna be. That's the thing. Uh, I don't know how you fully remix Pet Cemetery because while you know, while it has a lot going for it, it's relatively simple. The, what it's going for, dude. John uh, Lithgow is playing Judd in this. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, I'm totally like in. I'm this in. Just one me. John uh, Lithgow you, is Judd Crandall in this. You could you could sell me on that any day. If he's chewing up enough scenery, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we are we are now back. It's 30 years. We're right at peak at peak time for Stephen King, especially with it. Uh, really taken off as much as it did. I think we're going to see a lot of his work being remade. Um, hey, man, maybe he'll uh, maybe he'll remake Maximum Overdrive and direct it again. Listen, we don't we don't <laughs> need to be getting too crazy with these wishes. All right, we are we are just a humble horror movie podcast. That dreams uh, could come true, man. I mean, Stephen King could listen to this, maybe, oof. probably not, but he could. Anything is possible. He he does consume a lot of media. But he does. He but does. hopefully he uh, consumes our solid recommendation and uh, mm-hmm. the uh, fun news of what we've got in the pipeline next week. Oh, yeah. Um, so I saw a little movie that <laughs> you guys may have heard of. It's called Mandy. And Sorry, it's batshit insane. Our boy uh, NC. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. It is, it is batshit crazy. Nicolas Cage at his best. Um we're going to be doing that next week, so you need to watch it. Heck yeah. Uh, you can, I've been, you can I've see been it in so some looking theaters. forward to this because this looks insane. Yeah, it's on video on demand and in, in limited theaters, so definitely check this out before next week. We'll be dropping this sometime mid-next week. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you guys so much again for listening. Uh, we are Oh The Horror Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you can find those types of podcasts. Obviously, congratulations, you found it. If you liked the show, please feel free to give us a review. It really helps out the show, and uh, it helps people find it so we can have more listeners because we always like to hear from you guys as well. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, at OhTheHorrorCast, and at OhTheHorrorCast at gmail.com. If you want to send us some recommendations, what you'd like to hear from us, just want to say hello, say hi. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, that is going to do it for us here. Until next time, I am Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Come, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. <laughs>